1: Hello and good morning to our US audience and good afternoon to those of you joining us from Europe. My name is Aidan Kearns and you're very welcome to what is the last session of four where we've been exploring the European landscape for US headquartered corporates. Over the course of the series, we've been attempting to somewhat demystify the European landscape and also explore the latest trends in the region. Really looking forward to today's discussion and as the title implies, Digitation and Innovation, you can expect us to, th- to discuss and think about emerging technologies, Europe's distinct regulatory landscape, and indeed, transformational change management. I'll be moderating today's session, which means I have the relatively easy task of putting our expert panel through their paces on those topics. So speaking of which, let me introduce them. Delighted to be joined by Garvin Kahn, founder of 101. Garvin is a professional transformation advisor to a range of senior leaders across multiple sectors, with over 15 years experience at the helm of transformation programs. Joe Towers is HSBC's regional head of payments product for Europe. Joe manages existing and new payment and card solutions for business, corporate, and financial institution clients across the UK and Europe, with extensive experience across retail, corporate, and international banking. Also joined by Simon Berridge-Burley, who is a senior product manager from our digital team. Simon has over 15 years experience in financial services across IT delivery and business product teams, working in London, Zurich, and New York for international banks. So just before we start, a reminder that there are tabs at the bottom of your screens to submit feedback, which we'd be grateful for. Equally, we'll have some time for Q&A at the end, so please do submit your questions below also. Okay, panel, I'm really looking forward to seeing where this discussion takes us. Uh, But first, uh, let's get some audience participation and let's start with uh, an audience poll. And the question is, which of the following technologies do you envisage will make the biggest impact on your organization in the coming five years? DLT, APIs, virtual accounts, or other. And you can vote using the poll tab at the bottom of your screens. So I think while we wait for those results to come in, Joe, if I could turn to you first, perhaps, could you outline the current landscape uh, in Europe for us?
0: Thanks, Aidan, and good morning, everybody, good afternoon. Um, So it's fair to say that across Europe, we've seen significant developments um, over the last 12 to 18 months. Um, A lot of innovation, a lot of digitization, um, with particular focus, I would say, around open banking apis real-time payments mobile banking Um, i think you've heard in previous sessions about the introduction of real-time payments we know that this is um, something that's been in the uk now for uh, a number of years and we're now seeing it spread more rapidly across europe and actually when you combine real-time payments with open banking one of the other major developments in europe we're starting to see quite a lot of innovation on the back of it Um, really they come together to create an ecosystem for for customers and um, they really tap into customer needs where they are um, looking for control over payments, they're looking for choice over how they do their payments for flexibility um, and how that can be integrated into various um, digital apps or technology um, as part of an overall um, ecosystem. Um, in, adi- in addition, I would say we've seen quite a bit of migration away from our traditional kind of paper solutions like cheques and uh, and cash. And that's that's been accelerated really over the last year, um, in particular with the, with the global pandemic. And I know something in the US, you're, you're big fans of cheques, but uh, we've digitised them in the UK. And we've also um, looked to digitise um, some solutions that mean that you don't need cheques, um, and, and we're able to get rid of, of some of our solutions, like Lockbox. So might might sound a surprise in the US, but that's that's the trajectory here in, in, the, U, in the UK and in Europe.
1: Thanks, Joe. Uh, thank you for those who are, are voting in the poll. It's uh, still open if, you, if you'd like to uh, uh, do so. But we are seeing a lot of votes for APIs and virtual accounts. Interesting, DLT not picking up as many. Um, uh, so perhaps as, as, as we go on, we'll try to reflect at that poll in, in some of our answers. Uh, but Joe, could, could I take you back for a moment? Uh, you touched on open banking just then as an important development. Perhaps you could just give us a bit more detail on that, please.
0: Certainly. So o- open banking is a, a phenomenon that we're seeing here in Europe. And actually, it's not just in Europe, we are seeing it in other parts of the globe. So it, it shouldn't be um, something new for, for everybody on the call. Um, One thing that's really um, driven it in Europe, though, is regulation called the Payment Services Directive 2. However, it has kind of evolved really organically in other locations like Asia. In particular, in Europe, though, um, it's really driven some new models with um, payment initiation service providers, sometimes referred to as PISPs um, or an account information service provider. And really, with these uh, providers, they're able to um, help um, corporates initiate payments or to gain information on their accounts from other sources and help consolidate them, um, not necessarily through proprietary channels, Um, And in addition, it brings in some standardisation using APIs, which I know Simon's going to talk some more about, Um, to to drive real-time connectivity and and innovation. Um, I think it really enables us and our clients, actually, to to do things that would have ordinarily been quite difficult, um, in particular to respond to some of the changes that we see um, in the industry and across the market, and in particular to respond to demands around real-time, whether that's real-time payments, real-time information, real-time treasury, real-time reporting. Um, It's it's critical in, in, in that part. Okay, no rest for audience. And
1: second poll of the day now, um, and in light of the first poll, I think this will be interesting. Uh, The question is whether the listeners on the call have a transformation project underway based on API. So simple yes or no answer for this one, please. And again, the poll tab is at the bottom of your screens. Um, while we wait for that, Simon, uh, could I ask you to do two things for me, please? First, uh, I guess, reflect on the first poll, and second, talk to us about the importance of APIs.
2: Yeah, thanks very much, Aidan. So a uh, pleasure to speak to you all. Um, good afternoon. So I'm not surprised at all, actually, to see that there's such um, a high um, response on the poll to APIs. It's certainly been a hot topic, really, in Treasury for the past few years. And and as we know, um, there's been quite a lot of drivers that have been pushing the API agenda. So as Joe mentioned, Open Banking, PSD2 in Europe, um, it's really brought the use of APIs to the forefront, especially um, across financial services and treasury practices. And where we see that the the changes in the regulation that are encouraging the use of APIs, we also can now see the, the benefits through advances in technology and IT security that allow us to connect our systems together where traditionally it's just not been possible to have that degree of interconnectivity. So through this unparalleled transformational change, we're really seeing that APIs are underpinning a a huge amount of innovation in our customers. Um, And I really see that um, emerging in kind of one of three main areas really to call out the importance So one is actually innovation and technology in our customers' own solutions and propositions. So embedding APIs, whether that's financial APIs or or other many, many other APIs within their own um, services and proposition. Maybe um, within the wider wider digital ecosystem as well, so embedding your own services as a service um, and using that API-driven connectivity to deliver an enhanced digital experience for your own partners and clients obviously business integration so apis are all about connectivity they're the glue between your systems so the power of apis being able to integrate your back office systems with your payment systems your reconciliations allows you to unlock new possibilities move away from your batch driven processes and making it much easier to manage your cash liquidity and make better and faster more informed decisions intraday rather than waiting on the end of day reconciliation And then speaking about RECs, obviously, process simplification goes without saying, really, APIs really support automation of those, you know, kind of repetitive tasks that you're used to doing. And what we really see is this enables treasurers to spend less time on the doing and maintaining and really spend more time on the planning and thinking that allows them to grow their business. So here at HSBC, we recognize demand for... Real time access to our cash and liquidity services, we've developed a suite of Treasury APIs that will help support you in your own digital transformation. So, using um, around an ISO 222 standard, so very widely used industry standard, we're now able to report your account balances and transactions on demand in near real time, initiate payments, either real time payments or batch payments, and provide you um, the confirmations through either domestic or cross-border payment tracking um, in real-time to your existing treasury systems. So what we see in the digital economy and initiatives such as the Treasury APIs is really offering new opportunities, and real-time treasury is starting to emerge as the next natural step in optimizing treasury processes within organizations. And we really see that APIs can enhance your interactions with your banking partners and offer, significant improvement for many treasurers.
1: Thanks, Simon. Um, and I see the poll has come in there, almost a kind of a 50-50 split with the, with, uh, um uh, audience members saying that they actually have an a, have a API transformation programme underway. Um, so, Simon, look, you, you touched on transformation, um, and, and there may be a good time to bring you in here, Garvin. Uh, and, and I guess my question to you is, you know, as Treasury becomes more embedded in, in the strategic decision making at board level, uh, perhaps you can share your perspectives on transformational change and what that really means.
3: Yeah, oh, thanks, uh, Aiden. And great to be with you today, um, and great to be with uh, your audiences. And uh, you know, it, it kind of starts here with um, if if you don't have transformation going on, uh, you're kind of not in the club at the moment. I mean, to, you know, tell me a leader, show me a leader, and show me a sector, uh, or show me a region that's in, not in the grips of. I think this is a a global phenomenon, Um, and I mean, there's there's some fundamental drivers for that. Uh, I love the way Joe and Simon talked about the, you know, the API uh, uh, economy, and I think Joe really put her finger on, you know, what's happening in payments in Europe, just as a really good indication of how just the the playing field uh, has changed. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, payments was banking. You know, today uh, it's banking, it's Google, it's Amazon, it's a whole series of new players. Um, and even from last week, uh, you've seen uh, Google introduce integrated payments in Google Maps uh, for tolls in the US and, and beyond, and, and hopefully to arrive in, in Ireland soon. So, you know, the first thing that has you know sparked transformation is this new competitive landscape that we find ourselves in and, and api and you know digital applications and uh, analytics of course and uh, and cloud um, are, are at the heart of enabling business leaders to you know, present new business models, uh, which are which are causing that you know first principle of transformation, which is the customer experience and the customer expectation, is now being reset by new players on the landscape. But of course, that's that would be nice if that was the only thing for transformation. Uh, for sorry, for leaders to to have to contend with. Um, uh, but leaders have to contend with as well as you know keeping track with those developments and you know not just even just offending their franchises and their brands it's rejuvenating them to uh, to keep pace with this new expectation set we all of course have to uh, have to keep the engine running so we have to keep growing our sales Uh, we have to keep um, uh, reducing costs and finding efficiency in our businesses and of course you know uh, whether it's cyber or whether it's uh, data and ethics uh, or whether it's just the, you know, the pace and the amalgamation of all this change, you know, we, we continually have to manage the risk agenda as well. So, you know, actually leaders in transformation are trying to do four things, Aiden. They're trying to keep pace with customers. They're trying to grow their businesses. They're trying to, you know, drive efficiency within their businesses. And they're also trying to uh, to manage the risk profile. And before we even talk about the human capital. Um, but it's the answer of transformation. Uh, technology is really interesting, hugely empowering. Um, but I think a great uh, quote by uh, Satya Nadella um, from Microsoft, who we'll all know, um, uh, and he coined the phrase, You mean, you have to be optimistic about uh, technology and what it can do in the hands of humans. But he said, it's ultimately, it's the human capital, and the human potential that empowers uh, transformation. And it's technology that empowers humans to do great things. And that, for me, is the very essence. Um, So that that dilemma, you know, that, that quadruple dilemma, um, uh, against the backdrop of this new toolbox that we have is really at the heart and soul of what's out there for for um, for leaders, and I think it's a time for ambidextrous leadership. Um, and I don't know if, if your your audience and if you're familiar with that uh, with that phrase, but I think we have to be you know there's a duplicity, there's duality required, and um, when you have to manage that multiple agenda, um, and it's difficult, um, uh, and the the, the challenge is definitely a, a people challenge um, uh, and a challenge to both keep pace, but also a challenge to brace, whether it's, um, whether it's this open ecosystem, this open open banking, open finance, open everything. Everything is open now, it's platformization, right? Um, uh, so it's about it's about grasping that. And it's about doing that then at multiple levels in the organization. I mean, transformation is certainly about the experience. It's out of the engagement layer. Uh, transformation is definitely in the products and services of the propositions. Transformation is happening at the process layer. I mean, you've touched on um, the importance of APIs for, for our corporate customers in terms of that. Um, your view on ambidextrous leadership is a technology layer as well because we talk about cloud computing we talk about apis and on greenfield sites um that's that's very appetizing but uh, again what's difficult for leaders is trying to evolve from their legacy you know uh, on-prem uh, architectures and applications uh and trying to you know migrate those to cloud ready cloud native uh, api uh enabled infrastructure to allow all this magic to to happen. So um, uh, I hope I'm I'm giving you a sense, Aidan, of the um, the horrid complexity <laughs> that is uh, that is transformation, and it's called transformation, not change, for that very reason. Uh, it is just so many of those uh, of those multiple uh, multiple dimensions. Um, but that said, um, with the right uh, application and the right ambidextrous leadership, uh, it is possible, and we see many great um, many great organisations capable of doing that. Just before we came on air, uh, we were talking about Disney as a fantastic organisation of such longevity. That has migrated its way beautifully into uh, into the, in and through this fourth industrial revolution by being adaptive, uh, by being imaginative, and by being bold. And I think transformation requires those those attributes, Aidan.
0: I, I think Garvin, a number of th- things resonate with me there as well, just around transformation and you know if I look at HSBC and w- where I'm sitting we have a huge transformation agenda and if we have a huge transformation agenda I'm sure many of our clients on this call also do because they're, they're the recipient of a lot of it so um, you know I, I think it is difficult it is complex it's really challenging um, and, and you know on the topic of today's webcast being digital, you know, having a digital strategy is is paramount to to what we're doing as well. Many people have seen it mentioned in the the HSBC strategy just yesterday. Um, But I think there's some, some learnings for us as we've been going through it as well. So one is about kind of trying to demystify what some of the changes are out there. So, you know, people will talk about APIs like they, you know, we've had them for years. I think there are still a number of people who don't know what they are and they don't know what they are of the possibility is people talk about DLT or blockchain or you know digital technology they don't know what it is so I think in, in many cases we've had to just dis- demystify what these things are and work out what problem it is that we're trying to fix for our clients or for ourselves by introducing this so I, I think I would encourage people to to demystify and work out what problem they're trying to fix um, and Sorry. No, go ahead, John. And, and, and then I think there's also this this piece around, um, you know, certainly within HSBC, understanding some of the nuances that we see globally around trends that we see regionally and at a country level. So sitting in Europe, I see some significant differences between what happens in our business in Asia and what happens here in Europe, particularly around open bank and APIs and payments, because um, you know there, there's just a different way of looking at some problems they don't have the same regulation that we have forcing us to make some of these changes it's kind of evolved you know for example the use of e-wallets the use of qr codes and how that's integrated into you know applications in, in um, china is very different to what we see here happening in europe and um, so i think being being mindful of some of these um these points and how that that impacts how you go about change um, is, is also really relevant
3: yeah, I, I mean, I just, I was, I was keen to respond to you, Joe, sorry for, for coming across, <laughs> but um, uh, I, I absolutely endorse what you said. And um, one of the things I do with, um, uh, with, with I, sorry, I've done myself in, in industry, but I do it with clients, uh, we do safaris, uh, Joe. When we're when we start a transformation journey, um, and a safari is getting out of our boardrooms and it's getting out of our offices and it's getting out on the streets and it's looking at what's happening in other sectors, it's looking at what's happening in, in other regions. And this call is, you know, part of that today. So- that's to be applauded um, because by looking at PowerPoints, you just can't do it. You have to go and experience it. And, and transformation uh, does start with the customer, it starts with the proposition, it starts with the client, it starts with the outcome in mind. And you can only really see the inspiration for what's potential and outcomes uh, when you get out and experience it. Um, so as you say, a huge amount happening in China and in the East. Um, equally, you know, bringing clients to Silicon Valley to see really where the money is is uh is going hugely important you know getting around europe particularly the nordics where you know where they're incredibly advanced with digital propositions particularly for corporate and for for business yeah. customers as well just just totally encouraged to uh to get out of the office uh, uh if you can and certainly virtually if it's uh if it's possible but in time get out and experience and, and open the eyes Aidan, sorry we're taking over your um
1: no, thank you, Garvin, really interesting. Um, uh, I, I guess, look, you know, moving it on a little bit, uh, Simon, I might come to you uh, and just thinking about that new generation, that, that new ownership models, uh, you know, uh, I suppose it's trendy to, to work with fintechs these days with, with the move towards flat structures as a new way of working. Um, but, but in cash management, we've seen this in the form of a new service providers in the market. So, so what has HSBC's approach been to this? Yeah, and
2: fintech's a fascinating um, topic. We could talk about it for hours, but just to kind of answer the question in brief. So really one of the key aspects that's led to the growth of fintech providers is the speed and agility in which they can deliver change and innovation to their own customers. And I think five years ago, we may have predicted that fintechs would be eating into the bank's traditional customer base. And although we have seen examples of this, I don't really feel that's necessarily the general outcome. Um, What we're actually seeing is a change in approach and that's what we're adopting here here at HSBC is we're looking at more of partnership rather than an approach of competition. So we're looking to work with leading fintech providers um, and see how we can either embed their services in our own propositions or work directly with their services to pass on the benefits of those new innovations to our customers. So this strategy really aligns with the culture of innovation at HSBC where we can look to leverage our own world class products and services and then combine those with the best that the market has to offer to provide that additional value to our customers.
1: Thanks, Simon. So so look clear from the conversation I think that there's numerous strands of technology evolving. Uh, but Garvin, if, if we look further afield to a time when these technologies are firmly embedded in everyday life, and indulge me a little here, but but how do you envisage the European landscape in say twenty thirty?
3: Oh, I think um, I think much will be much will be the same, and much will be different. Aidan. Um uh, but to give that a bit of context and a bit of life, um, uh, I mean, COVID has, has has been an interesting accelerator for the human touch and empathy um, being reintroduced into the psyche, which I think is a good thing. Um, we certainly uh, are are personally experiencing, um, particularly in in heavy lockdown countries you know a fair degree of digital fatigue um and at the same time uh, i i see um, a huge amount of uh loyalty to localism uh, emerging as well in the marketplace Um, and if you look and if you follow trends in Europe in UK and particularly in Ireland um, uh, organisations when they've been slowing down their digital and their innovation transformations purely because they've been in the uh, grips of uh, the pandemic and the pan session uh, uh, at the same time actually their customer experience uh, uh, results have been uh, increasing so there's a bit of a dichotomy there and I think it's because uh, another uh, thing i mean my research and my studies uh, show me it's it's because um uh humans have been heroes uh throughout the pandemic uh and i think um uh you know hopefully that will that will continue and i believe the human touch will be ever so more important to balance um uh balance the force of of uh, of technologies but there's no doubt uh, Aidan, we're going to see continued um, uh, Moore's law, acceleration uh, of technologies, quantum computing uh, is uh, is coming to the fore, uh, edge computing, 5G, um, along with edge computing and quantum computing, which will facilitate the, you know, the internet of things, smart things, smart cities. Um, so I certainly see this world of interconnected devices. Um, like we all have four or five devices today. We had one 10 years ago, or two 10 years ago. You know, the, the predictions are we'll have 25, 30, 50 connected devices by the time we get to 2030. So we'll have this integrated system of, um, uh, uh, and, and, and we think about this at, the, at a business level, at a corporate level. Level and a human level, we will have this integrated system with data flowing through it to create this, you know, personalised uh, guidance and, and to help us with the with these jobs in in life, but that of course presents a, a conundrum on data and analytics and ethics, and the degree to which, um, you know, we will um we will uh, authorise and we will use or maybe allow. Uh, algorithms and deep learning, uh, which are, again, are accelerating at a pace to make decisions for us. So while I think um, we'll see this acceleration of, you know, digital enablement um, by this, you know, quantum of, of uh, connected devices and computing power, uh, I think you'll see a greater, greater role for humans to be in the loop of uh, uh, AI, machine learning and deep learning to maintain and sustain the ethics uh, and the ethical um, uh, uh, requirements to retain the human touch. Um, I do think you'll see some other movements as well in in Europe and and globally, I think digital identity and the digital self-aiding are are two real dominant themes. I mean, the one thing that the uh, the internet uh, didn't solve, um, the protocol that was left behind was a protocol for digital identity, and we see that friction in our businesses today. Um, again, at a corporate, at the business, and a, and a citizen, at a consumer level, um, you know, and and potentially we see you know cohorts being blocked out from the digital economy because they they don't have digital identities. But I, I I see it moving beyond digital identity into creating digital selves and self sovereign identity is a is a very new movement that's uh, that's happening globally, and it's this idea of how do we get um, our our credentials, our data points um, that are ultimately the proof of who we are, how do we get them out of our purses and wallets, and how do we get them out of filing cabinets and servers and put them uh, into, into wallets um, that can be interoperably used to unlock digital services, again linking that uh, to that uh, IoT world. I do see sustainability uh, as possibly the biggest problem but also the biggest opportunity um for these new technologies and the application and again going back to that human touch and i'm very excited about what's going to happen in uh, in education and um, particularly in the realm of uh, virtual reality and augmented reality uh i think uh, virtual reality augmented reality it's in its winter the same as ai uh, had a number of winters um but i think it will come out of that winter the technology is progressing i just don't think we've figured the use cases yet and again i think um, the pandemic will will accelerate uh some of that and the final one i would mention is um just 3d manufacturing and intelligent industries uh, i think that's going to be phenomenal maybe it will even take us into the space race i mean elon musk i mean we see you know his forty thousand satellites um you know being launched uh, around the globe uh, to create this new you know, uh, halo effect of, you know, always on internet access for the for the world. You know, Google have been talking about that, Musk has been talking about that. I mean, they're they're chasing that. They want to make the world a very connected place. And that's to be lauded. But I think it's beyond that. I mean, space could be really interesting for the sustainability agenda. Um, So what about if we were able to, with Mr. Musk's and other people's uh, help, launch um, launch satellites, land them on comets, uh, comets, mine those comets for the ore and the material and the gold and the silver that we need to run our digital uh, our digital devices, and maybe uh, beam them back down to us. I mean, I think there's phenomenal uh, opportunity, uh, and this is where the money is going. The long-term money is going. So I think 2030 is going to be a really interesting place. Will it be that much different from today? A lot, but it'll be
1: very same. really interesting thanks garvin uh, a reminder i think the, to the audience at this point just to uh, post your questions uh, there are no silly questions we promise we won't read out anybody's name so so again uh, tab at the end of your screens uh, to do that and um, simon if I, if I could turn back to you at this stage i, I guess look we, we've glimpsed quite far into the future of points today and especially far just now with garvin um but but i'd like to bring it back to the here and now if i may What what can companies do today to prepare for for a digitised future?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, so we've talked about we talked about a lot of technologies today, um, and I really would stress that you need to be aware of these technologies. um, How things have quickly progressed from what was previously an abstract contract uh, concept or a, a, a new development to be concrete possibilities. So where we do see APIs, open banking, so the use of real-time payments, alternative payment systems and e-wallets, they're all now live and are changing the way that we manage our cash personally and professionally. And I think to echo what Joe and Garvin have said, the following, you know, the events of the last 12 years during the pandemic, it's really um, cemented the need to be agile and to react to the changing market conditions because it's, we've really seen over the past 12 months where it's exposed um, weaknesses in any systematic processes. So from a cash management perspective, I would encourage you to consider um, your you know, advances in machine learning, um, AI. I saw a great piece on HSBC.com about how we're using AI and predictive analytics in our fraud monitoring. So really some practical examples of how it's now been embedded in our daily activities. And then, um, you know, DLT is going to evolve and, and obviously find more use cases as that technology becomes more commonly used across the industry. And then the as-a-service concept, so banking as a service, for example, um, embedding your own services and propositions within the wider ecosystem to leverage that hyper-connectivity. So, as you mentioned, Aidan, we've, we've covered some quite wide-ranging topics today. Some that quite far off and some that are just around the corner so really to encourage you all to be thinking about the next evolution in your digital journey and just to reassure you that um, from hsbc we're here to guide you through these concepts and technologies and really to help establish how you can bring value today to your own treasury organization
1: thanks simon Um, uh, i guess we'll turn to the q a and uh panel this is where you really earn your your money now um, so I might just take a couple of questions, um, if I could. Joe, um, Joe, jo, I might throw this one to you, if, if I could. Um, uh, question here: How should corporates be thinking and about incorporating DLT into their treasuries?
0: Um, thanks, Aidan. I think this is an interesting one, um, DLT, because um, even just maybe eighteen months ago, it picks up on what Simon just said we weren't quite sure what to do about DLT. You know, it was very hyped in the market. And again, people interchange DLT digital ledger, sorry, distributed ledger technology with blockchain. And um, nobody really knew what problem we were trying to fix. I think over the last 18 months, um, you know, we've been involved in a number of projects and proof of concepts to try and work out how we how we might use this, and and uh, have have worked with some clients. And actually, we've had a an interesting innovation with one of our our clients uh, globally um, to see how we can use DLT. And in reality, what it enables us to do together is actually speed up payments, cross-border payments, get to almost a place of near real-time payments, moving money around. the Around the world, um, which, which we don't quite have today. So I think um, it's 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 been a a bit of a journey to find out how we how we best utilise it. But I think we've started to see um, where the opportunity could be and, and how this could really benefit um, a, a number of our clients.
1: Thank you, Joe. Um, Simon, I think this one uh, probably most suitable for you. What is the benefit of using APIs over traditional host to host Swift? net-based
2: connectivity? Absolutely, and it really goes to that real-time use case, so the move to real-time treasury. So Having that direct connectivity with your banking partners, um, APIs allow you to receive that information on demand, in real-time, into your existing systems, and helps you evolve your your own treasury processes to move away from the end of day, batch-driven, to intraday cash management. And um, that's quite a powerful proposition to a lot of treasury functions.
1: Thanks, Simon. A follow-on question, if I could, Simon. Uh, How long does it take to implement API connectivity?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it really depends, I would say, on your own application infrastructure and how ready it is to connect with APIs. Um, as an example, our record to date is six days from kickoff meeting to live. So it shows it can really, um, you know, be much faster than what we've ever seen with traditional host-host channels in the past. And we've certainly made an advancements on the the side of the bank to be able to onboard you much faster and and streamline the processes in regards to getting you set up in the test environments, etc. Um, so in regards the the traditional kind of time it takes to set up a new API connectivity. We really do see now this is, is possible in, in a matter of weeks. You know, Six days is, is a little bit extreme. Um, but I would say two to three weeks is, is definitely achievable um, based on the amount of testing and, and any changes you'd need to make to your own systems.
1: OK, thanks, Simon. Um, Joe, um, one back for you, if I could. Uh, data is an increasingly important topic. What role do you see this playing in the future of cash management?
0: Very good question. And I know Garvin uh, touched upon data as well. And and, um, having an ethical strategy around data, I think, is is quite an important point to make here. Um, But but I do feel data and uh, digital are intrinsically linked. And actually, for part of your transformation that you may be going through, having a strategy around digital and a strategy around data is is critical, really. Um, You know, we're we're finding with a lot of changes now, that we are experiencing in in transformation across Europe, in particular with a lot of the the payment um, infrastructure changing led by the industry. Um, which essentially overhauls our, our whole payment infrastructure in, in almost every market, um, data will become an increased um, enabler through that. Um, so I think Simon touched upon ISO 2022. We see those changes really enabling um, the power of data. We'll be collecting far more data, which as a corporate you'll be able to use, um, so you won't be limited in the same way that you are today. And when you have that data, you've understood what you might use it for and and how you might mine it um, and and utilize it on a day-to-day basis. And we believe it could be quite powerful in how you work with your your own customers, how you make decisions, how you enable real-time decision making and real-time treasury as well. Um, So I I think as as a number of the changes are going on through um, anything that you might be doing around treasury transformation or digital transformation, you need to really think about where does data fit into that? How do you use it to um, ultimately realise a lot of the benefit that you could get from the transformation that you're making? Um, I think the other obvious, the other obvious one I think Garvin you mentioned is around um, artificial intelligence and machine learning and and the use of data in that and how that can help you in automation straight through processing, taking away manual effort, um, so that you're using information to make decisions rather than being the person who processes all of the processes all of the data. So um, it's absolutely critical to the transformation that we're all under um, underway with. Thanks, Joe. Actually, Garvin, there there is a question I might I might
1: put in your direction if I could. Um, Covid has accelerated digital transformation. How are we seeing organisations adapt?
3: Yeah. Um, so you know, it's uh, the the adage is um, that uh, you know organisations um, have done more in in three weeks uh, when Covid struck than they. In, they thought they would do in three years, and we, we've heard that. I mean, who's the chief digital officer? or Who's the chief transformation officer? It's COVID now. Um, uh, uh, but but boiling that down, I think you've seen, and we've seen in Europe, uh, Joe, phenomenal uptake of contactless and uh, and, and digital payments uh, forced upon us. Um, uh, so I think organisations, uh, large and small, uh, businesses, um, large and small, have um, have changed their Fulfillment processes, their purchasing processes, and their service journeys, um, and rapidly digitalized uh, access for for customers. Um, I think obviously uh, the digital workplace Aiden, goes without uh, goes without saying. Again, you know the way we're operating and, and engaging today, um, starting to see a lot of organisations um, recognise the longevity now of virtual work virtual engagement in business across businesses and then b2c um so interesting I was on the client this morning and their big focus now is how can they groom and support the skills of virtual presenting uh, and virtual engagement at a, at, a, at a b2b and a b2 and a b2c level but actually the focus was on a b2b level because there is a different skill required now to to offer uh, in this world um and i think the um the third agenda that i think is going to be is uh, and is uh, becoming very important is back to uh, uh esg it's back to sustainability um uh and uh, i think that's been driven um by the awakening in the world of the necessity for purpose because so purpose has been on the agenda probably for a couple of years now an expectation on on business leaders to ground their um their their business and their strategies in not just single line uh, strategies uh which is the the corporate strategy but in triple line strategies uh which is for the good of uh, of course the business and their economy but for the good of their uh the people and the partners they work with and also for the good of the uh the, the economy um and i think that uh, that COVID certainly accelerating that um uh, around the board tables um, uh, and the executive tables that I'm dealing with, that's, that's slowly, but surely, uh, but at an accelerated uh, rate now, uh, Aidan, starting to become an agenda item and as part of, I would dare say, the, uh, the transformation leaders um, gambit.
1: Okay, thank you, panel. Um, finally, I'm going to ask each of you what message you'd like to leave the listeners with. Garvin, if I could come to you first.
3: Uh, So very quickly, um, I love this notion of uh, um, uh, ambidextrous dexterity, and I would suggest that leaders should have uh, three views on the world. What does it need to do now? What do they need to do next? Um, But what does beyond look like? And it's like three horizons of uh, of innovation. Um, I think that should be a mainstay uh, of any leader's mind, uh, whether it's in Treasury uh, or at the. Uh, at the very top uh, of the house or or at any part in any organization so um, uh, be ambidextrous
1: thanks garvin simon
2: yeah sure a thought for me is to not get to not get too hung up on the technicalities of digitization it's a bit of a temptation to get stuck on how's it going to work but really focus on your business requirements and form a clear view on where the value is going to be and how you build a roadmap to get there So I think a key part of your agenda needs to be to promote agility and to utilize the real-time data and move the treasury reporting out of the uh, back room into the boardroom. So with all this in place, you'll soon find that making your technology choices becomes much easier because ultimately the IT element is just a means to an end rather than the digital transformation journey itself.
0: Thanks, Simon.
1: Joe, the last word with you.
0: Yes, I think the, you know, the introduction of the new technologies and digital innovation is, is really exciting. Um, but it can also be really daunting thinking about how you apply it and how you go through that transformation, that change. It is complex. Um, you know, we're working with a lot of clients around this to push the boundaries, to look at how we use API, digital ledge technology. Um, and so if any of these topics are of interest to you, then please talk to us. We're, we're keen to work with you and to learn together to push those boundaries. Joe, I think that's a good message and a good way to wrap up
1: today, and indeed, sadly, wrap up uh, the series in our month-long look at the European landscape. So, many thanks to all our sp- uh, speakers who contributed over the entire four weeks, uh, and in particular uh, to our guest today, Garvin Callan of 101. Uh, if I can quickly recap, in, in the first week, we looked at uh, the cash management landscape in Europe as we embark on 2021. Easton Dixon, the global treasurer of Bain & Co, gave a treasurer's insight into how Bain has adapted to the changing landscape. In session two, we looked at cash flow optimization for growth in Europe. own Backhausen, our global co-head of ISB, addressed our commitment in the European region. Last week, we explored how those principles could be built upon in the region to transform and centralize treasuries through organizational cash management and treasury structures. Mark Redmond from the American Chamber of Commerce in Ireland provided insight from Ireland's perspective on the direct investment from US corporates into Europe. And of course, today, we've looked further into the future to what technologies await us in the coming years, as well as some of the more complex considerations we will all need to grapple with. We hope over the last month, you've gained a broad perspective on what's happening in the region and hopefully also some ideas for how your organisation can leverage some of these teams. We do also welcome your feedback, so please do let us know your comments on the series. We didn't get to all your questions today, but we will reach out to you individually, uh, and to echo Joe's uh, comments, if if there's anything today or indeed throughout the month long that has beaked your interest, Uh, We'd like to talk to you in more detail about that. Please don't hesitate to contact your sales manager or indeed the continental European corporate sales team directly through the email link that you received your invitation on. Finally, I'd like to thank you all for joining today. Stay safe and have a good day.
0: Thank you for joining us for HSBC Talks Business. To learn more about anything you heard today, please visit business.hsbc.com.